So this week we're back on track, uh, at least for now, in Acts chapter 5. I've begun to wonder lately whether the Lord uh, will, will be leading me to preach something else in the near future based on what's happening in the world, but as of right now, uh, I feel very led to continue to stick with Acts, and here's why. Um, much of what is occurring in this bizarre and backwards world is very similar to things that happened in the first century of the church under Roman rule, and I am, I am convinced that many people in the world today, right now, are already experiencing what some of those in the first century would undergo for the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, what's happening right now in Afghanistan is absolutely awful. It's awful. It's not just the 15,000 Americans that are stuck there. It's the other 6 million people in the country that are stuck there. It, it's a terrible situation. Terrible situation. And it may be that one day we experience something similar here, although that, that probably seems impossible at this point in time. You're probably thinking, no, no, not. Tell you what, things happen fast. Things happen fast. But with that in mind, I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles or scrolling your devices to Acts chapter 5. Uh, in our passage, I believe that there are at least five applications, five applications for Christians who want to effectively follow Jesus Christ. Whether that's in the first century, or whether it's today, or a thousand years from now, should the Lord hold off that long in returning? Um, so while the kids are finding the bingo pictures, let me set this up. Because it's, it's been three weeks since I preached for, from Acts. You had uh, Gil, uh, David Gilbert here a couple of weeks ago, and then last week I preached a one-off. So it's been a while. Um, remember that the church has experienced just, just explosive growth ever since the Holy Spirit filled the apostles of Pentecost, Right? And so Peter and John uh, and the, the other apostles, they've been preaching the gospel of Christ and seeing people repent and believe in droves. And the apostles were following Jesus' command to baptize them and teach them to obey everything that he had commanded. And the early church very, uh, was very much in close communion with one another early on. And they're experiencing just tremendous unity in the Holy Spirit. And they've been devoting themselves to learning the apostles' teaching, prayer, fellowship, and the communion, and they were, they were adding people like gangbusters. It says that daily folks were, were joining the church because they were being converted by the Holy Spirit, by God's power working through the gospel message. And they had already seen God perform a rather, rather frightening display of discipline when he struck a couple of liars dead for hypocrisy. Remember that? Ananias and Sapphira? And on top of this, okay, the church was seeing miracles of healing happen just left and right. So, so there's a whole lot of momentum here in the early church, all right? And among the, the religious, uh, religious? Uh, uh, among the re religious elite, I'm going to have to make up a word there, the elitages, uh, among the religious elite, there were, there were, in Jerusalem, there was this really intense hostility toward the Christ followers, followers of the way is what it was called. Because, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, this, this new movement called the way was taking away their power and their influence with the people. And the leaders, they'd already dragged in Peter and John, and they'd threatened them. Remember that? It's funny because the Greek says they threatened them with threats. Um, they, they threatened them if they didn't stop preaching the gospel, but clearly that hadn't worked. Okay, And so that's where we're going to jump in today, starting at verse 18. And, uh, and yeah, we're going to read the rest of the chapter, but don't freak out. Okay, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of narrative here. So we don't have to dig deep into every sentence uh, or even every paragraph. But there are a few verses that we are going to spend some time on, and I promise you, it's going to be worth it. So if you would, let's, let's bow and just ask God to bless our time in the Word. Father God, in Jesus' name, 
I thank you for this day, Father. I thank you for uh, the wonderful blessing that we're going to get to experience later today. Uh, I thank you, Father, for uh, just the beauty of, uh, of, of the world outside that you have made. But God, there's folks right now who have so much on their hearts and minds because they're in terrible situations. People experiencing persecution, people being subjected to, to evil, wicked Taliban rule. Um, Lord, right now, even in our nation, uh, we're starting to see things that are occurring that are making us wonder if, uh, if this isn't the beginning of the end for us. And Father God, I ask in, in Christ's name that you help us uh, not to get disheartened, but instead just to recognize, hey, God is sovereign. You are in charge. We know that. We love you and we trust you. So whatever your will is, we pray that, that you might bring it about. But we also ask, if it's not too late, that we all have repentant hearts, that those in charge of our nation have repentant hearts. We even pray, Father, um, not as we did this morning, not just for those who are being persecuted, but also for those people who are persecuting. Um, they are captives to a deceptive philosophy. They believe in a satanic lie, and we ask, Father, that you might convert them and change their hearts, that they might see what it means uh, to follow Jesus Christ. And today, make us good soil so that we can, uh, the, the seeds planted will take root and bear fruit for the glory of your kingdom. And may we uh, set a great example, Lord, as we leave this place today, but help us to be attentive and uh, let these things sink in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to dive in. This is all on the heels of, uh, of all of that miraculous healing, okay? For, oh, hey, you guys showed up. What's up? <laughs> it was a miracle. <laughs> awesome. All right, so that was totally off the cuff. Sorry, guys. Not in the manuscript. Um, but the high priest rose up, it says, and all who were with him, that is the, the party of the Sadducees. Now, remember, these are, these are the guys who were, they were sad, you see, right? Because they don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in angels and demons, okay? They have, no, they have uh, no regard for the rest of the Old Testament scriptures. They only believe the first five books of the Old Testament, okay? So that's who these folks are, the high priest and all those who are with him. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Uh, now, some of you some of y'all are smiling. Personally, I find this hilarious. I mean, like, think about this. This is literally nothing that the Sadducees did was effective. First, they tried to silence them with threats. Then they put them in prison. And then next morning, guess what? They're not there. <laughs> They're not there anymore. They're right back in the temple preaching. I love it. Okay, and, and it clues us into the first, the first major application for today, church. We must follow where the Lord leads. We must follow where the Lord leads. God sent his angel to give instructions to the apostles, and they did what they were told. Now, folks, as usual, the, the different points in, in this message are going to overlap some, but that's okay. I just want to make it clear what happened here, okay? When the door to the prison opened, that was an obvious miracle. But we don't see the apostles going, whoa, that's convenient. But you know what? I was under arrest, so I'm not leaving. <laughs> right? That's not what happens. I mean, absolutely not. They, they walked right through that open door. But they didn't use the opportunity to say, well, I'm going to go home and just stay out of trouble. 
right? I mean, if you think about it, they could have chosen to just be thankful for the open door and then enjoyed all the blessings of freedom without embracing the call to obedience. But of course, they didn't. And aren't you glad they didn't? Because where would we be? Where would we be? Friends, there will be times in your life where you are going to recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has opened a door for you. And you need to walk through that door. Please walk through it. Please follow. And there will be other times when a door appears to be open and you're going to discover that God's not calling you to follow. But if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, I truly, I really believe this, that you will be able to tell when it's God calling you to an opportunity. You know, when the Lord called me to Crossroad, some of y'all have heard the story, I won't get into it all today, but the circumstances were that I was absolutely certain that God had opened the door. And so I said yes, and I do not regret it one bit. And even after finding out that the door was opening, I had already felt led to leave my, pre leave my previous congregation. Like I, I had already talked to uh, the, the hell, el head elder, I guess you call him, maybe. At that point, there was only one. <laughs> so he was, he was the head and the tail. I spoke to that elder and I said, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm being led to leave. Um, and, and everything, if you, things were going well at the previous congregation. Um, and I had no idea of what was next. But I already knew God was calling me to leave, but I hadn't figured out what door he had opened yet. And, uh, and when he provided the opportunity to come here to Crossroad, I struggled to believe it. I mean, I was like, really? Really? Because you guys know we've, we've had a long connection with this church of history, and we love this church. It was just amazing to, to receive that opportunity. Now, has it always been rosy? No. Well, of course not, Right. <laughs> of course it is not. There's been difficult periods over the last four years and change, and there will be others, okay? In fact, it's likely that, that one day, being the front man, so to speak, for a church, it might bring testing as persecution ramps up. It might happen. But I know that this calling, calling to be here, I know this calling was from the Lord, and I, I hope I always follow, and I hope that you will too, friends. Uh, just, you know, look and, and listen for where the Lord is leading and follow him, even if it seems dangerous. Uh, you know, you've probably heard it, but it's true. There is nowhere safer in an ultimate sense than being right in the center of God's will, exactly where he wants you to be. It's the best place to be. Let's keep reading. Uh, now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent off to prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. <laughs> I bet that was confusing, right? Okay. And now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And then someone came and told them, Look, the, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the, in the temple and teaching the people. Now, quick side note, okay? Even, even if they didn't believe him, do you think maybe the Sadducees might have at least read Isaiah? You know, when the Lord talked about the Messiah setting captives free? You know, anyway, so then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. This is key, listen. Not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Now, why is that? Perhaps because it's clear who the bad guys are in this scenario. 
I mean, think about it. Who are they rearresting? People who have been healing the lame, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. I mean, the people who are doing wonderful things. They've done nothing except preach and perform miracles. And it's, it's interesting how once those in power start doing things that are kind of under the radar, once they know they've crossed the line, that's kind of interesting how that works. Because darkness likes to stay hidden, right? They know people wouldn't stand for it. So they didn't use force. They weren't violent. They walked up and said, um, can you guys come back to jail, please? And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. It's so hard not to do a British accent sometimes when I, when I read for a Pharisee. I don't know why. Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> yet, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, that's right. They're right. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. You know, it, it's, it, they've told the apostles, don't preach, right? And the apostles have directly disobeyed. And on top of that, you know, they're implicating the religious leaders as those who murdered their long-awaited Christ. The Messiah they've been waiting for all this time. Okay? And so, but Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Pregnant pause. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll come back to that. Um, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Y'all, there's so much right here, okay? I want us to, we'll start with the fact that Christians are called to obey God rather than man, okay? Christians are called to obey God rather than than men. You may remember back in Acts chapter 4, the first time when they were arrested, Peter told the Sanhedrin to, they said, judge for yourselves, okay, whether they should obey God or man. And then the addendum to that, he said, we cannot but help uh, of, of speaking of what we have seen and heard, right? He says, we can't, we can't just keep this to ourselves. Now this time, okay, Peter decides to answer that rhetorical question rather than saying, you judge for yourselves. He just flat out makes this strong statement. We must obey God rather than man. I think this needs to be a foundational statement for every Christian in the world today. Now, this, this doesn't mean that we refuse to submit to authority under typical circumstances. You know, when, when that authority is rightly established by God and it's operating within its proper sphere, we need to be submissive. Okay, But when the authority is working against the Lord... When authority is behaving against its own law. When authority is trying to force its own citizens to work against the Lord, I believe that we not only can but must disobey. Amen. Now, to be clear, thank you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, you know, talking about armed insurrection here, necessarily. I'm talking about... Obeying God rather than man when those two wills are incompatible. What do we do? 
You know, I'm talking about doing what Peter did. And I'm talking about what Peter did here. Note that Peter didn't cut off anyone's ear this time, right? Right? Okay? In fact, we don't see any propensity at all for violence. Instead, we're seeing a steadfastness that is deeply rooted in his connection with the Lord. He has this, this incredible rock to stand on. Christ. The truth of the capital T. Okay, so he just made it clear that he would not be obeying the religious rulers if God told him otherwise. And that there's, a, there's an awful lot of complex ramifications to this statement that I fear we may be forced to address before too long if things continue going down the direction that they are going. But for now, let it suffice that we have an obligation to obey the Lord rather than people whenever the two are in disagreement. Okay? Next, we see from this passage that Christians must understand and share the good news with others. Christians must understand and share the good news with others. Now, what word do we commonly use that literally means good news? Right, the gospel. Thank you. The power of God for the salvation of those who believe, according to Romans 1.16. And, and as we have often discussed the gospel message centers on who Jesus is and what God did through him. Although Peter does elaborate from there. From there he, 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 we're going to get to that in a minute. But notice that Peter refers to Jesus whom you killed by hanging on a tree and says he was raised up by the God of our fathers and has been exalted as both leader and savior. Now what we have here, well, this is not as explicitly as it was last time Peter confronted the same group. Because remember, he's already talked to this group of guys, the Sanhedrin. He's already shared the gospel with them. So he's, he doesn't get quite as deep into it this time. But uh, he is talking about the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's using a Greek word that is unique to Jesus in the New Testament. And that's the word for Savior. So, so who Jesus is, is well represented here as well as what God did in raising him from the dead and placing him as the preeminent savior of his people. But Peter also, he also mentions the ramifications of the good news. Okay? Because the gospel, if you don't mention the ramifications, the gospel doesn't always receive the proper response. The fact is, it's a necessity that people repent of their sins. Now again, that doesn't mean apologize. That's a different thing. Now, the repentance should obviously have some of that, that, that apology, that regret, that sorrow, the godly sorrow. But it's not the equivalent. It doesn't mean simply to confess. And I probably mentioned before, you know, I call it prepentance. Lord, forgive me for what I'm fitting to do. You know, that is not okay. That is not okay. Okay? Repentance means to experience a change of mind. Metanoia in Greek. Repent. Change of mind where your once cherished sins become your enemies. And where your mind is turned from that sin toward God. It's a reversal of direction. It's a different trajectory that starts in the mind. And Peter, he made a, a similar claim in, in his second ever public sermon in Acts 3.19. He says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Now listen, this is not something to gloss over, okay? 
Listen, church, this is, this is the reason, the main reason that Jesus died was so that he could redeem a people for himself. That is why he died. And not a people who are his just in name only, but who are his in heart, in soul, in mind, and in strength. He shed his blood. He sh- didn't spill his blood. He shed his blood so that we might be brought to repentance and so that we might receive Pardon for our sins because his sacrifice means forgiveness for us. I sincerely hope that each of us will always recognize that Christ's death on the cross wasn't in order that we would sin with impunity and be forgiven. It's very Romans 6. It was in order that we might receive his gift of salvation, of holiness, that we might turn from sin and be forgiven. See, at the same time that we are transformed, we are also transferred. It's pretty amazing. You know, in first, uh, Colossians 1, actually, there's, sorry, I almost said 1 Corinthians. In Colossians 1, Paul explains that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is what his blood bought. It bought a new identity for each of us. You understand that, right? A new identity. We are new creation in Christ. According to 2, what is it, 2 Corinthians 5.17? Is that right? Everett, you'd probably know. We're, we've been transferred from one kingdom to another, so let's live like it. Amen? Can we live like it? Let's devote our energies toward just living for Jesus. (laughs) Let's direct all of our zeal for that because we're we're not, guys, we're new. We're not who we used to be. We're no longer the domain of darkness. Now we are citizens in the kingdom of Christ. So we should live like Jesus and live for Jesus. Jesus. Now, before we, before we continue, I, I want us to just bear in mind how incredibly bold the apostles are being here, okay? Because this, this is not an American court of law, you know, where we at least, at least in theory, have freedom of speech. We have the right to a fair trial. They were, they were calling out the big dogs in society. They were flat refusing to shut up about Jesus. They were saying, no, I'm not going to do what you said. And then they're throwing the truth in their opponents' faces. I mean, so, so the reaction of the Sadducees really should not surprise us at all. It says, when they, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Now, y'all, we, we don't really know that much about Gamaliel, okay? Um, we know that um, what he is about to say, though, makes perfect sense. And I'm pretty sure that this is the same Gamaliel that the Apostle Paul says that he studied under. And Paul was a Pharisee, not a Sadducee. Um, And that's so Gamaliel would have been too. And so he believed in the spirit world. He believed in the afterlife. And so, by the way, he also believed the entire Old Testament was the inspired word of God. And so his words of caution here are really wise, even, even if he wasn't on board with the whole Jesus being the Messiah thing. So, and he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, 
And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Now, these are, these are good historical examples of people who tried to start a revolutionary movement and failed without spectacle. Okay, And in both of these cases, there was, there was a key figure. One was Theodos, one was, was Judas. Uh, a, a key figure who made outlandish claims, and then when he was executed, guess what? The whole movement collapsed without him. There's a whole cut off the, the head and the snake is gone, right? It was that type of thing. So the argument goes, what Gamaliel is saying here is, if this Jesus is just another revolutionary and not the Messiah as he claimed, then this movement ought to fall apart on its own. Well, did it? But his argument makes sense, right? And then he goes on to say, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan is the undertaking of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. <laughs> if only he knew, right? I can't help but wonder. I can't help but wonder if he converted to Christianity later. If only. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, I'm, I'm wondering, like, like, I wonder what was going through the Sadducees' minds at this time. You know, maybe they thought, well, threats weren't enough. They're going to have to hurt in order for our commands to sink in. And I'll, I'll bet it hurt, too. I mean, you know, they, they had this, you probably knew this, um, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, if you received a, a beating back then as public discipline, then God had commanded uh, the number of licks that could be applied. It couldn't be higher than 40, right? You may know this. Uh, he said, so don't give more than, than 40 lashes. As That was as protection for the person who was being punished. And, and the religious folks who you know, enforced the laws, they changed it to be 39. They said 40 minus 1 because you know, they like to build a little fence around God's laws so that they wouldn't break God's laws. So anyway, uh, but if the Jewish leaders were ready to kill the apostles, I'd be willing to bet they went all out on the punishment, don't you? I'll bet they gave the, the 39, you know, lashes. And I'll bet they also found the most proficient whippersnapper they could find, right? <laughs> to be the person who did the actual beating. They wanted to make sure that this was an unpleasant experience so that these apostles would stop. So how do you think that day ended? The apostles went home crying. The apostles rushed to file a, uh, to their, their lawyers so they could file a wrongful suit, you know. No. Luke writes, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Y'all to me, this is, this is, that first line is one of the most transformative Powerful, profound statements in all of Scripture. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Now, y'all, I think many of us, if not most of us here, have probably suffered in some way for the name of Jesus at some point. Nowhere near this. 
we've probably lost a, a friend or, you know, had a, a, a difficult experience because of our faith in Jesus. Maybe we've been mocked. But by the way, being blocked online, like in social media, okay, when you're being argumentative, that's not the same thing, okay? That's being blocked because you're being a jerk. Not the same thing as being persecuted. I just want to make that clear, okay? We all need to be on the same page about that, all right? Just to clarify. So sometimes, though, we may be doing a good job of representing Jesus, and when we do, that brings hatred from people that are completely absorbed in the world. But how many of us, when we go through something for Jesus, have ever rejoiced that we are counted worthy to suffer for the name? I mean, is that usually how we react to pain? No. No, we're, we're a very comfortable society, aren't we? Yeah, we don't like pain. We don't enjoy it. We tend to avoid it. We complain when we experience it. You know, sometimes we even assume that pain means that we've made a mistake, we've made an error in judgment, but based on the apostles and their joy, I think that we Christians must embrace the honor of suffering for Jesus Christ. We must embrace the honor of suffering for Jesus Christ. I mean, if you really think about it, it is a huge compliment for God to place you in a situation where you suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ while, while helping you to get through that situation without breaking. In fact, I, I think it's a glorious reminder of your salvation. I mean, because this, this same apostle, Peter, he, he later wrote these words to the church regarding suffering. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So again, I want us to slow down. We're going to examine that statement, okay? What Peter is saying is that by preparing ourselves to suffer for Jesus, we are no longer straddling the fence. We've gone past the point where we cherish our sin, okay? Where we, where we value fleshly pleasure more highly than we value God's approval. When you get to this point, you have landed firmly on the correct side of the fence. That is hugely affirming, okay? That's really encouraging. To, to suffer for Christ shows that we belong to Christ. Do you understand that? Again, not suffering for being rude or being argumentative, but suffering for Christ. That, that's fruit. It shows that your faith is real. And while we're not called to necessarily seek out suffering, we shouldn't use up all of our energy trying to avoid it either. Does that make sense? One person nodded. Okay, great. <laughs> Preaching to you, buddy. <laughs> We shouldn't just use up all our, our time and our energy trying to avoid suffering because it's guaranteed to happen. It is. It's guaranteed to happen to anyone who, who really takes their faith seriously in a world that is hostile to their faith. Jesus said, if they hated me, boy, are they going to hate you all. Let's paraphrase. Peter even tells people to expect it. If we read on. 
Beloved, he says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You hear that? Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So when we suffer for him, when we suffer for him, we are sharing in his sufferings, which Paul in the book of Romans tells us means we will also share in his glory. And then Peter, he completes the thought. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Who does he sound like there? He sounds like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, right? If you suffer, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Don't you want that? Don't you want the spirit and the glory of God to rest upon you? I'm going to take it by your silence if that's a yes. Um, I certainly do. I want God's spirit of glory resting on me and I want him to be shining the light of Christ through me to this dark world that's all around. And, and, and listen, I was, I was recently reading a Christian author. I, I, I thought it was Erwin Lutzer, but I couldn't find the quote. So I'm just going to have to ask you to believe me that I saw this. This Christian author was describing a conversation that he had with a pastor in the Middle East. Boy, is this mattering right now. A pastor in the Middle East whose church was beginning to experience persecution from an Islamic government, okay? He asked that pastor what advice he would give to the pastor of an American church, and his answer really stuck with me. Okay, you ready for this? Basically, what he said was, you need to prepare your people to suffer for Christ. That's, that's not great news, is it? And yet it's in keeping with the experience of the New Testament Christians, friends. I, I need to be prepared, and I need to prepare you to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And right now in this, in this land, we're, we're still sort of protected, even favored in some ways, whether you believe that or not, by, by the laws of the land. But I have a feeling that's going to change. And when it does, church, we must stand firm. And then number five on today's list, never stop sharing Jesus Christ. Never, never, ever, never, ever stop sharing Jesus Christ. Share him in every situation. If you're being persecuted, share him with the person that is persecuting you. Never stop sharing Jesus Christ. Because notice, they, they didn't just rejoice that they were accounted worthy to, to suffer dishonor and apparently a savage beating for the name, but they completely disregarded the, the command to, to stop preaching and teaching. They went right back to it. Right back to it. In church, I hope that we will have the, the same grace lavished on us to remain strong in the face of persecution and suffering with scars on our backs and smiles on our faces. It's what we're called to, friends. Now, does that mean every Christian 
you know, is, is supposed to have the gift of evangelism or prophecy where we're all, you know, going to start approaching strangers and, and, and initiating conversations about the gospel. That, that's not what I'm saying. That's not necessarily the case. Okay. I'm not going to say we shouldn't, but the Bible doesn't indicate that everyone has the same calling when it comes to preaching the word. However, it does say that we should be ready to share the gospel. And we're going to go back to Peter. Okay. Again, the apostle Peter, his first letter to the church, he says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason that the hope is in you. I want you to hold it right there for a second, okay? He's talking about being always prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you. In other, in other words, be ready to explain why your faith is in Jesus Christ. And he, he's not just, you know, he's, he's not referring to being on the offensive here, okay? He's, he's talking about being ready to share when asked. Now, before you, introverts, breathe a sigh of relief, okay? Please understand what the key is to being asked. We Christians should live lives that are so exemplary. So countercultural, so full of grace and joy that people can't miss it. They, they should be confused because they, they, just, they just don't get why you're so different, in a good way, from everyone else. In other words, friends, we need to be so Christ-like that people should wonder what we have that they don't have. And, and then they should ask what that is, and why we're different. And we should be ready to share Christ with them. Do you understand? It should be obvious by the fruit who you belong to. And it should make people want to ask you, where does that fruit come from? And you should be ready to tell them. But Peter cautions, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So, so when we're doing what's right and people mock us and argue with us and even beat us up or kill us, the truth about who we are and about whose we are, more importantly, that, that ought to be apparent to those on the outside. Okay, They'll see our behavior when we embrace suffering for Jesus, and, and it will both glorify God and it will reveal the wickedness of those who attack us. And, and, and so, friends, I hope you can look at this, this list of five things that you've hopefully been writing down in, in your notes and let them sink into your mind, okay? The truth is there. God has given it to us. He has shared it with us, and, and yet it, 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 is, it is something that is, is going to be detrimental to you in the face of society. Ultimately, tremendously beneficial. But it's going to harm you in the face of society if you stand firm. If you really believe what you claim to believe. Life will get harder for you in some ways. Don't give up. Don't reject Don't decide it's not worth it. I hope that you 
You let those things sink into your mind. The tide is shifting in society, friends. I mean, there, there really, there was a time, we used to be in the majority, or at least, you know, people who generally accepted a Judeo-Christian ethic. They, they were in the majority. I doubt Christ followers have ever been a majority in this nation, including at its founding, whether you like that or not. Okay? But it's becoming plainer by the day that people who are truly following Jesus Christ are a minority. And I want to challenge each of us to bear in mind that the kingdom of God is not ultimately about political power. It's not about social capital. It's about bearing witness. It's about having a testimony that glorifies Jesus Christ. As Peter said, it, it's along with the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. That is, that is what we are called to do. And as we do this within our, our whatever our sphere is, if it's your sphere of, of, of politics or work or school, you know, government, whatever, we must remember that God is sovereign no matter what is happening in the world. No matter what everyone else is doing, God is still on the throne. And one day he, listen, listen, one day he will make everything right. Those who are in Christ, one day we get to reign with him. So, so maybe the question for each of us to ask ourselves is this. Am I in Christ? How can we have assurance of that? We just looked at one way. When you're suffering for Christ, he says you are done with sin. But then the question remains, are you following him? And then what does that look like? It's a question you have to ask yourself, and the Holy Spirit speaking to your conscience can answer for you. And I hope that each of us will feel more led to follow Christ and to do it more faithfully. And this morning, we're going to offer an opportunity for uh, anybody who says, you know, I feel like uh, this is the family where I'm supposed to be, this, this church family, and I'd like to place membership. But that's something way, way, way after the fundamentals. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, never placed your faith in him, never trusted in him, then you need to do that first. And while the word teaches us that we are justified by faith, we are commanded. In scripture, it is always when a person first believes, we are commanded to be baptized by immersion in water. We're confess our faith publicly and be baptized and then walk in obedience to the scriptures. And I know lots of us are on different, different levels of that. We're in different places. But I want to encourage you to move ahead. Keep going forward. As, as C.S. Lewis said, further up and further in into Christ. This morning I have the immense privilege of getting to baptize my daughter. Who is the heart-headed one sitting there. Not hard-headed. That too. Heart-headed one sitting there. And... Uh, but that doesn't mean that, uh, that if you have uh, something in your life that you're going to be ignored. Certainly not. That doesn't mean that. I want you, if you believe that God is calling you, if you need to confess a sin, we've had that happen before, where a person, God bless our brother who is so brave. If you need to uh, just ask for prayer, if there's something going on in your life, um, please, please don't, don't pass up this opportunity. We're going to play a, an invitation song. Just come, come up here, sit on the front row, um, and 
you know, I'm, I'm going to ask Dave and Mary if they'll come up because I know Dave and Mary will love to pray with you. Um, and if you were going to come up to get prayed with, then I'll pray with you. Um, but don't miss this chance. 